0: I always suspected that our soil here at Longleaf Breeze was not very fertile, and I was right.
1: Welcome to Longleaf Breeze, beginners learning subsistence farming using three simple principles, approaching but never reaching subsistence, it's got to be fun while we're doing it, and we don't make allness statements.
0: And now, Lee and Amanda Borden.
1: Thanks Adrian and welcome to our podcast of October the 13th, 2010. Wine, wine, wine. You're just carrying on and complaining about your soil, which I guess everyone who grows things needs to complain about his or her soil and we certainly feel like we're entitled because we've gotten our soil test results back and it was not all that good of news, I guess.
0: Right, yeah. Um, mostly we know that our pH is highly, uh, it's on the high acid side, which means it's very low.
1: That's right. We the have pH a low pH, low.
0: which is high acid.
1: Most of the things we're growing on Veg Hill ideally would be growing in a pH of somewhere just a tad acidic. It, they don't prefer exactly neutral soil, they prefer slightly acidic soil in the range of 6.2 to 6.5, 6.8, something like that. That's sort of right. ideal. Well, our pH is 5.2 to 5.8, which means we're a full point lower than ideal. And if you're familiar with the pH scale, that means on the logarithmic pH scale, one point means that's 10 times more acidic than ideal.
0: Yeah. So, except there's one group of plants that are enjoying the acid, and that's our blueberries.
1: Just bring on the acid. We like acid. And our blueberries obviously are happy out there. Mm -hmm. And the soil test um, recommendations that come with the results say no liming necessary on the blueberries. They're just fine.
0: But liming will be necessary on just about everything else.
1: Including the azaleas. Which are also acid-loving. Yeah,
0: but they're not that acid-loving, apparently. <laughs> so we know what, what we've got cut out for us. And I know you've given some thought to the form of uh, lime, liming that we should do, the form that that should take.
1: Well, the cheapest way to do liming of soil is dolomitic limestone. And I think we can buy 50-pound bags for 3 or $4, and uh, that's probably what we need to do fairly soon now. Mm -hmm. Go ahead and buy those bags. Ideally, we would till the limestone in. At least that's what the the liming recommendations would have us do. But, of course, we're not into tilling. So what we will do is sprinkle ours on top of the soil along with the various cover crops that are growing on it and then depend on the critters to take it down into the soil.
0: yeah. So we do need to do that pretty soon, if we can just free up some time.
1: <laughs> Nothing but it, right? Yeah, Nothing yeah, but time. That's right. uh, we also discovered that, um, surprisingly enough, um, a good bit of our Veg Hill soil is low in phosphorus. That also is something that can be remedied. It takes phosphates, and so we'll. Be getting some phosphates to use to amend the veg hill soil and strengthen its phosphorus content. Right,
0: but I guess that was the main deficiency that it had, right? Yes, it was phosphorus. Yes,
1: so. phosphorus and the low acid, uh, the low pH. So.
0: so, well, we'll just have to get that lime going, and we'll report to you about that um, at some point in the future. We and do it have kind of yeah.
1: nice though. Now, now let's think about this because until we do the liming. We sort of have an automatic excuse for anything that goes wrong on bedchill. Oh, you're health. right. Once we lime, then we take away that excuse and we have to produce. Are we yep. sure we want to do this? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we
0: can't blame it on the soil anymore. We'll have to blame That's it on right. the farmer. We're
1: just going to have to uh, go ahead and do that. So we'll, um, we'll obviously will be liming the soil, and the sooner the better because liming the soil does not produce immediate results. It was interesting, I was doing some research about that this morning early, and it's relatively easy for those of us with acidic soil to correct it. It is something that will need to be done constantly. It's, you know You can't do it once and then be done with it. It's mm-hmm. going to need to be done constantly. But it's cheap. Dolomitic limestone is cheap and it's easy to use. Our friends who have alkaline soil have a much tougher task to get Mm -hmm. their soil closer to neutral. So um, I guess if we want to claim some kind of triumph, it would be that at least ours is the problem that's easier to solve.
0: Yeah, and I am glad about that. So, Uh, well, that was good news. So, uh, good news that, that is that we can remedy it fairly easily mm. and um, continue mm. to do that. But let's talk about some of the positive things going on, even despite the bad soil.
1: Even with our low pH, we have some gorgeous winter squash out there. I'm just yeah. really having fun watching them yeah. grow.
0: We actually ate some of the uh, spaghetti squash last night. Our daughter-in-law, Michelle, prepared it for us. I had a, I'd never prepared spaghetti squash before. And it was delicious. It huh? sure and was. And luckily we have lots more, lots more of it growing out there on Veg Hill.
1: It, uh, she cut it in half and she uh, put it on a baking sheet and baked it for an hour, hour and a half, something like that. And then used a fork to remove the flesh from the halves of the spaghetti squash. A spaghetti squash is maybe 9, 10 inches long. It's a, it's a fairly formidable looking um, piece of fruit there. And then she pulled all that out, so she ended up with something that looks something like pasta. And then she fixed it like pasta with butter and salt and pepper. And uh, I think we—what did we end up doing? Well, I, I guess that was—yeah, no, that was it. And
0: it was very simply prepared, you know, in that sense of the seasoning, and very good. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and and the other squash that we have growing—delicata uh, squash, we have some um, butternut butternut squash, and. That may be about it. I I think think we, that's yeah, it. I haven't seen any acorn squash or anything like that. But well, pumpkins, pump, we have pumpkins growing. Well, we certainly growing. have pumpkins growing. And they're but in the squash right. family. We
1: sort of were hoping that we would see some acorn squash and we have not. So,
0: but that's okay. We we will go with what we have. Um we have our sweet potatoes we still haven't harvested, but they are promising. I actually dug one up today. Oh, did and, you? And, um, what yes. did you find? Um it looked good. So, we'll uh,
1: How big was it?
0: It was not big, but then Michelle says that when she goes to the farmer's market in Los Angeles, the organic sweet potatoes often are not very large. Okay. So um, that the size doesn't bother me Yeah. as long as they're nice and sweet, and, and flavorful. we'll find out. Exactly, right. and
1: That's I'm saying. sure they, they will be. Yeah. Uh, they've had lots and lots of sunshine all summer long right. and um, have continued to thrive, so I feel good about our sweet potatoes.
0: We have some... Uh, S- some growth, even additional growth, underneath the row cover in all the greens that we have planted too. They're looking good. Yeah, and so we're we're hopeful that they'll continue to grow until after the first freeze, at which time we can take the row cover off because hopefully the Carolina grasshoppers will be gone, right? Isn't that like
1: we that? certainly hope so. Yeah, we hope. So, um,
0: anything else? Oh, I guess the sun hemp. We have sun hemp growing, blooming again out there.
1: Yeah, and um, I guess we'll end up cutting it again and we've got a, a decision we need to make right away about what's going to happen to veg hill east over the winter time and that's something you and i have not we've talked about various options but we've not made a final decision on right. what we're going to do do we leave the sun hemp growing as long as possible and take the chance that we won't be able to get anything to grow then or do we go ahead and cut it down now and plant something that we think will take root and get us through the winter Right, um, and I don't think like we have an answer.
0: Crimson yet. clover or hairy vetch or something of that exactly. nature, buckwheat. Right, so several options. Um, we also uh, noticed that some of the lettuce on row six that we planted—that's not under a row cover—they're kind of two bad things happening. Uh, some of the, some of it got eaten by Carolina. We think they're Carolina grasshoppers. They're definitely big old grasshoppers, and um, but some of that's growing back, so that's the good news. Some of the lettuce that did survive. And I think wasn't I, eaten. I think I understand why the grasshoppers don't want it. It's bolted. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it is just not at all pleasant to eat. This is some buttercrunch lettuce that you had um, close to the row cover on row six, but not under it um and gosh it's knee high now all of a sudden mm-hmm. so
0: yeah um, so we we probably will have to redo the lettuce
1: um, do we think we have no choice but to rip it out or are we going to try cutting it back and see mm-hmm. if it will
0: i've already cut some of it back to see what happens so we will we'll give it a chance and we'll see what, we'll happens. See what happens okay right. good um but but we talked about that if we did decide to plant some more lettuce there that we might need to just extend the row cover. And, and
1: I am ready to do that now. I have every uh, all the uh, components in place to extend the row cover as soon as you give me the yeah. word.
0: So, so we hope to do that. Well, you want to talk a little bit about the, the thinking you've been doing about the water preparations that yeah. we have for the future? Um,
1: and the reason I've done that is that the other day I had a chance to get out with the GPS and plot out several things. First, I plotted out our orchard expansion, and I guess we can talk a little bit about that. What I've learned is that it it should work pretty well for us to take down that stand of trees that stands now between the barn orchard and the east orchard, and it's going to turn it into one continuous orchard space, um, except, of course, for sad longleaf. Which we will protect. Sad longleaf gets,
0: gets to stay. Yeah.
1: Sad longleaf is the mascot of longleaf breeze. Um, he was one of the very first Longleafs we discovered, and at the time we discovered him, looked like he was going to die.
0: He was like a large grass stage, would you say, between grass no, stage? No, I
1: would say a small, small grass stage. Small grass stage. Yeah. Okay. And sickly looking. Yeah. Sort of bent over and dis disreputable looking. Um, So you rescued him and pulled some other trees away from him and uh, talked nicely to him. (laughs) And um, Sad Longleaf is no longer sad. Sad Longleaf is a happy um, puppy. And we're so proud of Sad Longleaf that it's very important to us that whatever else happens, we're going to save Sad Longleaf. Right.
0: And the nice thing about a longleaf, it should not be casting a huge shadow of any kind. on. That's
1: right. What uh, makes longleaf so special for us here in the south is that they do allow canopy to thrive below them. So even if sad longleaf gets huge, it won't make it impossible for orchard trees to grow around it. Um, But that's the only tree we're planning to save. Everything else in that vicinity is going to be cut down So we can get full sun to the trees in the orchard and full sun is what they need. And what we discovered is we've got room, if we do that, for most everything we want to plant, but not a whole lot more. It's sort of, you know, it's the right size Mm -hmm. for what we've talked about planting, but we won't have a lot left over, even though. You and I were just talking this morning about the possibility that we might want to add an olive tree or two.
0: I know, I'd really like that.
1: I'd love to have a couple of olive trees and we know that our friends at um, uh, oh gosh Jack State are experimenting with growing olives Jack State being Jacksonville Alabama in uh, sort of mid north Alabama and so we hope that if they can grow olives there, we can grow them here in central Alabama. Right. So we, we have, we're optimistic. Uh, but back to what we were looking at with the uh, water flow, you and I are well positioned now to use our well for pumping water for household use as well as for drip irrigation but we are anticipating a time when we won't be able to depend on the grid to be there all the time. Mm-hmm. So what we're trying to do is put a put in place a system so we can pump water when we have power, and then if we lose power, we won't have to have electricity just to flush a toilet or brush our teeth or something like that.
0: Right. So, you know, you've looked at the the fact that we need a... Upper tank and a lower tank to at least that's the
1: scheme we are working on right now. We would have a lower tank to catch the rainwater, and an upper tank that serves as the storage tank, and from which we would draw water for all household purposes. The upper tank would have a push pump that we could use when the power is available to give us full household pressure. But if we didn't have electricity at the time and we wanted to brush our teeth or flush a toilet then there would be enough gravity to pull the water down so it could be used in that way wouldn't be quite as much as a household pressure but it would get the job yeah, done
0: yeah makes a lot of sense really
1: and oh. so that's our current thinking at least and what we would do is whenever we have pv uh, photovoltaic power and we have water in the lower tank and and we have some empty capacity in the upper tank we would be using that pv to pump the water up to the upper tank so the upper tank stays as full as possible at all times
0: yeah so it sounds like a good plan to me and then of course a lot of our water current water usage usage is uh the drip irrigation for our veg hill and for, as well as the fruit, fruit trees. And, of course, if we plant new fruit trees, we do plan to put them on drip lines. So we had talked about possibly um, changing our source of drip irrigation water from the well to the pond. In other words, we draw our drip irrigation water out of our pond.
1: Yes. Uh, NRCS, the Natural Resources Conservation Service, has um, some, some incentives to encourage people to use surface water like the pond rather than groundwater like our well. And I think it's, you know, if I've been, if we've been irrigating from a well for a year, then we perhaps qualify for incentives to convert over to groundwater.
0: Right. And I think you did a few calculations about the amount of water that's probably in the pond. Didn't you say the pond is almost an acre? Mm -hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. And, based on a uniform depth of six feet, which of course is a bald guess because we haven't mapped it, we figure somewhere around two and a half million gallons. And that means that the roughly 6,000 gallons per week that we would be pumping once we have the orchard in place would represent one quarter of 1% of the water in the pond. So we think that's not enough to um, endanger the water level in the pond and that sort of thing
0: and the good news about that pond is that uh as we may have said before it's fed from an underground spring so um we've been through two drought summers now 2007 and 2010 and have not experienced a drop in the uh, a significant drop yay! yay in that pond level <laughs> although our pond looks a little brown it does this year, yeah but i don't know what that means Anyway, so we're hoping that uh, we can maintain our planting, our vegetable gardening in in the face of a drought using that pond. Now, I don't know what the bottom line cost is. Have you thought that through? No. For all this equipment? really,
1: that's a big wild card. It's a big fat question mark right now. What's it cost to put a, a lower tank and an upper tank and a pump in the lower tank and a pump in the upper tank and the PV and all the things that have to come together for all of that to work. um, It's just some uncertainty that we will need to resolve. But I think we're committed to having that resiliency um, almost like cost is no object. You know, we're going to do what we need to do so that we have that resiliency in place.
0: Well, it sounds like uh, that you've thought it through well enough that we can at least as we start to plan for future building and the lodge and all someday and, and water collection that we'll have a master plan we can um, go to in the face of all of that the new yeah. building.
1: And as we think about it, we're updating the post on uh, this whole issue of water and energy flow, and I'll put a link to that on the show notes page. So. Right.
0: Well, thanks for doing that. That'll help. Um, well, I guess we're almost out of time.
1: Today. I think we should say Goodbye. And you have a good week. We will look forward to visiting with you next week. Take care. You've been listening to Longleaf Breeze with Lee and Amanda Borden. We'd love to hear from you. You can call the farm at 334-625-8682. Send email to letters at longleafbreeze.com. Or you can send us honest-to-goodness mail at P.O. Box 780-446, Callisey, Alabama, 36078. Visit us at longleafbreeze.com to learn more about the farm, to browse our archive, and to look over our planting database. You can also read the daily farm log, check in with Lee and Amanda, and talk with other listeners. That's longleafbreeze.com. Thanks for listening. See you next week.